Before we get started, a few things to know. First of all, this episode is going to be about the therapeutic use of psychedelics. If that is something that's going to be triggering for you, it may be an episode that you want to skip because we are going to talk about our personal experiences. And on that note, this is personal experience. We are not representing anyone or any particular group. We just want to put it out there what our experience was. And in that same vein, it is a little scattered. We had our experiential on the 30th of April and today is May 7th. And today is the first day I really feel like I'm back to myself. So you'll hear on this episode, uh, we're kind of all over the place. And part of that is still integrating the process and integrating what we feel. But it's also some side effects. And that's what I want to bring across is the honesty and the authenticity of experience that we had. So if this episode is for you, great. Continue listening. If not, we will see you on the next episode. Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I am a hospice social worker. I am honored to have with me today fellow amazing social worker, Katie. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. And we are going to do some exploration of a topic that we're just learning about. Gosh, we are, yeah. Ooh, which is diving into ketamine as a psychedelic therapeutic intervention for hospice and palliative care patients. That's right. And this but is new to both of us. It's very new to both of us. And a little teaser is later in the interview, we're going to talk about our own experiences with ketamine. Yeah, stay tuned. It promises <laughs> to be rich. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, so here we are. Yes. Maybe you could tell me a little bit more about what you know. Uh, I'm not holding you to be the expert on all things ketamine or yes. psychedelic therapies, but just what we've learned in the most recent past about what's going on in the world of psychedelics. Yeah, it's fascinating. I know, you know, there's a lot of well-known information out there, um, a lot on psilocybin. You know, everyone knows Michael Pollan's book, Change Your Mind, I think it's called. And how Oregon passed psilocybin just recently to be non-criminalized as a form of a therapeutic tool um, to try to help navigate some medicinal, you know, supportive benefits for people. Uh, and so ketamine is very similar in that regard. There's uh, quite a few substances that are under this umbrella, if you will. And ketamine has most recently been, I mean, used a lot for you know, treatment-resistant depression and things like that. But I think more recently, you know, inter Hallie and I, <laughs> the interest in learning a little bit more about how we can support people at the end of their life, mm -hmm. um, whether that be hospice or with just a chronic terminal condition in more of a palliative realm, but using it to see if we can support people with their pain and suffering. Physical, yes, but really existential. Yeah. A lot of that, what, just kind of depression, like finding meaning death in your anxiety. life. Death anxiety. Mm -hmm. Shoot, lots of those. We see a lot of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really excited at the prospect of get, looking outside the medical model. Yes, alternative it, treatments. Yeah, we have really been stuck in, especially the United States, I feel like, with this medical model of the only way you can treat pain is with opioids, and we all know where that's gotten us. Which I would like to say, ironically, we are talking about ketamine, which is a <laughs> synthetic drug, but... <laughs> it is. But being used in alternative ways. Yes. So ketamine has been used in the past for an anesthetic. Um, most people probably have heard and known in the layperson's terms for ketamine, um, you know, going down a K-hole, right? They're taking it as a sedative to... to... Oh gosh, I haven't even heard that. But oh, I really yeah. Drug, check out Drugs, <laughs> Inc. There's a whole thing about ketamine use. Okay. Which is terrifying if you have only known about that. Kind of like ever only hearing about morphine during war. Yeah. Okay. So ketamine can be a little scary when you think about what it's traditionally used for. Right. But of course, the extreme range of doses gives you all different kinds of experiences with it. Yeah. And, you know, before we go further, I think it is it is worthy to say <laughs> that, you know, ketamine as a therapeutic tool 
is prescribed under the same regulations as it would be. So you're prescribed by a physician during the therapeutic experience. You are present with a physician or nurse with a guide, a therapeutic Mm -hmm. guide that's usually, well, we've had the fortune of having a wonderful social worker, but we (laughs) we are biased um, (laughs) uh, to guide us. And so it's not, it's something that's very structured and it's something that is, prescribed and used and oh what do I want to say well we'll pick a put a pin in that because we'll come back to the actual way that we're thinking about using it and using it in practice good just to come back to the other psychedelics for a moment um, one of the reasons that they've used it around the world in different studies with psilocybin and MDMA and a couple of LSD yeah those trials, one of the reasons that psilocybin's an issue is because it takes like seven to eight hours to metabolize in your system. And so that's not really feasible in a world of hospice and palliative care for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. It is, you know, all of those things have been used too, as you were talking about, for treatment resistant different things. Yeah. Whether it's depression or anxiety or PTSD, um, when every other thing has failed and then this feels like a magic pill. It's not magic. As we'll soon discover. (laughs) (laughs) And the effects are not forever. This isn't a a one-time, hey, you just, you get to do this and everything's great. It's kind of like uh, weight loss surgery in that way. You can have your stomach cut out, but you're not going to keep losing weight forever if you don't change the way things are. Yeah. You need to also incorporate different behaviors into your lifestyle. Absolutely. And into your thought processes and um, your actions to support a holistic way of living in this, absolutely. in this way. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to what this particular kind of pilot study that Katie and I have gotten ourselves involved in, Ketamine is used because it does have a much shorter metabolism life in your body. The stronger immediate effects, <laughs> which are very different than the lingering effects, those last anywhere from, what, two to three hours max? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the lingering effects we'll talk about later. That's definitely <laughs> more than two to three hours. But uh, because it can be used in a setting like what we're talking about, where you have a therapist and a doctor and it's something feasible that someone can go through and it doesn't take all day to do. Right. So, and it's legal in the United States. So in the United States, we can study right. it more. We can <clears throat> jump over the the criminal criminality hoop. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the FDA and other companies and government organizations like that don't want to approve studies with illegal substances. Yes. But <laughs> go, go, Oregon. We're so excited for you with your psilocybin medicinal trials. I Oh, I know. It'll be exciting to see what world that opens up for us. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see more studies on microdosing too, but... Yes. Aside from that... So we digress. <laughs> we, we will continue to digress, and here's why. <laughs> This, and we're going to jump around a little bit here just to make sure you understand where we're coming from. This is four days later from an experiential. Now, what we mean by that is that in this pilot study that's offer, that's hopefully going to get through all the hoops and be able to offer ketamine as a therapeutic tool in all the safe ways that we've described, and that's yes. including screening people out with different health issues and or concerns. mental health. Mental health. There is a very robust screening process. Yes. And there's ongoing medical monitoring. Yeah. Yeah. From the doctor, from the nurses, from the therapists that are guides. Yeah. During this process. So you're not just like handed ketamine and say, here, good luck, you know. Right. But this this particular thing that we're getting into, it the study requires that the guides slash therapists also have an experience so that you can understand and help your client process what they're going through. Right. And I'm, I mean, (laughs) I don't know how Hallie feels at the end of all this, but I'm very grateful to have a better understanding after going through um, this experiential. Hallie and I both together participated in this experience separately, but together. (laughs) And safely Um, due to COVID. Safely due to COVID. And yeah, I mean, I think we both, we both went in 
with expectations and we both walked out with very different realities of what can come of that and that's something that you know is worthy of ongoing discussion and um something that will only make us better guides when we practice this if we are fortunate enough to practice this with our our patients because it was not all joy and happiness and (laughs) epiphanies yeah yeah, absolutely. And we should state too there, you know, for the study, it's going to be different dose ranges and it will be given in an intermuscular shot. Uh, however, the way that we chose to take this medicine at this point was uh, sublingual and it's, ugh, I don't even know if I can describe it because honestly, as we'll get into and in the bulk of this conversation will be our actual experience, but it actually makes me nauseous just talking about. Yeah, why don't I take that part over? (laughs) (laughs) So basically, so when we um, got together to practice this and to see what all this ketamine hype was about, we decided to ingest first using a lozenge. So a very small, definitely not for sore throat lozenge, a very small (laughs) lozenge that was supposedly chocolate raspberry flavor, but that's an aside for later. It absolutely was not. Um, I would disagree on that point, but I got a little little raspberry. (laughs) And so the idea is it's the ketamine is compounded into this small lozenge that you then hold under your tongue and allow the medicine to absorb through your mucous membrane Mm -hmm. called sublingually. So it'll just absorb and it enters your, you know, body that way instead of ingesting it into your stomach and (laughs) having it be a GI gastrointestinal thing. Sadly, you can't just let it, you know, melt and then swallow it or spit it out. You have to hold your spit with this melted lozenge for 15 minutes. Yes, it was a task of its own. <laughs> but we survived that that initial uh-huh, um, portion. Uh-huh. I think there are, um, you know, some folks spit and some so- sp- folks swallow. Um, we decided to swallow. Yes, and... I'm a teenage boy. It's hilarious. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one thinking that when, when they were talking about it. Oh, and we should note that we were in recliners at this point. We had taken, I don't know if you did, some of us or all of us, took the anti-nausea medicine beforehand. Because oh, we it all can, did, yeah. It can make you nauseous, and if you have a tendency like me to be nauseous due to motion sickness, etc., then you definitely want to take it. So we did all take the, on Danzatron, the, what do they call it, Zofran? Mm-hmm. And then we were in a recliner with our, you know, comfy lap blankets and our eye shades. Yes, oh, the eye shades. And we had an amazing guide, you know, giving an invocation and giving us intent and bringing us into the space and making us feel comfortable. There was also music playing, specific music playlist playing in the background to help with this experience. And we all came in with our own intentions that were very different um, Mm -hmm. from one another's. And basically our intention of what we were hoping to take from the medicine, what we were hoping to learn, what we were hoping to grow with and sit with during this experience. Mm -hmm. Mine was vague. (laughs) (laughs) However, you know, ultimately my intention I think was to just have a better awareness of my connection with my body, you know, and my mind and how I can be better to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, you know, I struggle with mental health issues. And so often, you know, those negative thoughts are difficult for me. And I kind of go through waves of they're easier or they're not. <laughs> and lately they've been a little bit harder. So I went in with the intention of, okay, like, you know, how can I take this experience and learn to find love, find love for myself and, and you know, see what comes of it. Yeah. And I, I wish kind of wish we would have talked a little bit more about our intentions beforehand, but maybe that's just for mm-hmm. us. A little bit of both. I think I also had a fairly vague intention with more of a focus on just feeling at one with the universe feeling at one with other people and connected yeah feeling connected so it wasn't anything in particular right so we all bring our attentions into it and um you know sit alone 
with our eye shields and just kind of sit back and we took our anti-nausea medicine and then, you know, a bit later took this lozenge. So after we took the lozenge and that was 100 milligrams lozenge. Each lozenge was 100 milligrams. Yes. And, and we held our spit until the point where I was like, spit. I can't hold this anymore. <laughs> and the point of, and so, yeah, after those 15 minutes, you know, our guide would cue us as to the timing and say, you know, go ahead and swallow. Or if you wanted to spit, you can spit. And the whole difference is that if you spit, then the way that your body absorbs the ketamine is solely through your mucous membrane, Right. Whereas if you swallow, then it becomes a digestive piece where your metabolism is actually processing it as you would food or water or whatever. Yeah. So we'll get back to that. Slightly different effects. So that's just a kind of a preliminary. Basically, we all decided to swallow. And after 50 or after 20 minutes, they checked on you. Uh, So five minutes after we swallowed, they ask you, how are you feeling? And how were you feeling at that point? Oh, how was I feeling? I was starting to feel relaxed, but not too, not too different from my being. I was calm and relaxed and happy to swallow this gross stuff in my mouth. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think I was just kind of just calm, just calm. I, I felt a little bit of tingling in my arms, but that was really it. I really was not feeling anything else. Okay. And so when they came back around, um, of course, they're speaking softly, so I'm only hearing a little bit of what everybody else is saying. Hmm. Uh, but they were asking, did you want a second lozenge? Because and... that is a therapeutic part of the process is you have a bolus dose, right? Yes. So you have an initial dose, and then after a little amount of time, more likely than not, you will have a second dose just to kind of boost the effects. And a nice gentle entry into everything. Because yes. the lozenge does take uh, longer to affect you. If, if we would have done the intramuscular shots, it's like two to three minutes as opposed to 20 minutes. Right. So, yes. So we all took a second dose. However, Katie and I both were in the mind space of, well, we need to get the most out of this. <laughs> Uh, that we can. Well, Katie needs to preface and say, (laughs) (laughs) I have found myself over the years exploring my mental health and um, how to support myself with various pharmacological and non-pharmacological practices. I have found that I am quite treatment resistant (laughs) to medications. I have a pretty high tolerance. It takes a lot to affect me. So my guide was our guide was aware of this we had talked prior and so it was kind of decided I would I would have an additional dose to try to maximize the effects because I likely was not going to get a lot from the two lozenges the 200 milligram so and so I I chose three 300 (laughs) yeah she chose two more at the at the 20 minute mark I because I normally am very sensitive to everything and, but because I was only feeling tingling and I really was hoping to get to this, when we didn't really talk about the oh, different We didn't states. talk about the ego disillusionment well, stage. We'll, we'll get to, let okay. me just get to the part where we take it all and then we can go back. Okay. Um, but because we really hadn't, I didn't really feel anything yet. And I really wanted to get to the most effective dose I could get to without having to do it again. I was like, well, just give me them both. And also, immediately putting it in my mouth, thought, I'm probably going to regret this. <laughs> this is going to be like that dummy that eats a whole pot brownie instead of a bite, and it's too late, and you... <laughs> and you ate the whole pot brownie. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly, I think, what happened. But we'll, we'll come back to that. No. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, Katie and I both took a total of 300 milligrams. Right. Which, again, in, in sublingual use is not the same as what you would get in an intermuscular shot. But Right. Um, so, yeah, maybe we should just take a break and rewind to the different states of what's possible in, in the use of ketamine. Like yes. the anesthetic effect versus the... Can like, you cut all the way this up. bit and put it in the... Sure. To make it, like, linear? I could. It's too hard. Okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess... <laughs> I guess a good question is, why would you take ketamine? <laughs> <laughs> what is the goal? This is why I'm supposed to have an outline. <laughs> I know, we need outlines. <laughs> yeah, from the very get-go, we should probably have clarified that based on this being day four post-experiential for us, mm-hmm. we're both feeling not quite ourselves for various reasons, which we will go into. However, that being said, we are going off book on this podcast. <laughs> we have no outline, no. so please no. support us in our tangential musings. Yes. We might be bouncing back and forth. Um, although maybe Hallie will be nice and, and clip things back into a linear fashion for you for you listeners. It's unlikely, but maybe. It's unlikely, but maybe. <laughs> but, so what we should have said at first, so why ketamine? Why, why psilocybin? Why, like, why do we want to adventure? What is the benefit of adventuring into these, you know, macro dosing? Psychedelic. Psychedelic, experiential experiences Mm -hmm. what is the benefit and ultimately you know what comes out of it is a variety of things for multiple people you know no experience will ever be the same you could do the same medication five times and have five completely different experiences and you know I think what our guide says is you know the medicine will give you what you need from it And that intention is really important. And intention is important. You have to go into it with a mindset of seeking something Mm -hmm. or, you know, what are you hoping to gain from this? How are you hoping to grow? And so really, I think the biggest part that spoke to me about ketamine is this whole idea of ego disillusionment. Mm -hmm. How fascinating because... Well, tell the listeners what ego disillusionment even is. Oh. Can you define it? (laughs) (laughs) Probably in a very crude and terrible way that's not... This podcast is crude and terrible. It's fine. It's true. It's true. So when they're talking about ego disillusionment, they're talking in general terms about getting out of your own head, getting away from who you are in the world and what you mean to other people. Who do you mean to yourself? Yeah. What do you mean to the universe? What? How are you connected to other things and other people? And how do you get away from the societal expectations yes. that are ingrained in how we think about ourselves and how we think about other people? Yes. Um, I mean, it's a way to be able to let go of all of that and come down to the root basic principles of who you are as a entity. Yeah. Not even a human, really. Yeah. <laughs> as, as just a living spirit. Yeah. In energy form, however you see that. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and jump back on in here and give you a better definition of what ego disillusionment is. This is coming from nature.com in an article about neuropsychopharmacology in an article titled Me, Myself, by Relational Alterations in Glucomate and the Experience of Ego Disillusion with Psilocybin. So this is pretty close to what we're talking about as far as the study we're doing. And this is what they have to say. Termed ego disillusion, this phenomenon is characterized by the reduction in the self-referential awareness that defines normal waking consciousness, ultimately disrupting self-world boundaries and increasing feelings of unity with others and one's surroundings. Importantly, there is a renewed interest in the use of these substances in the treatment of various psychiatric conditions characterized by distortions of the self-experience. Recent clinical studies have suggested that these substances can increase well-being and provide therapeutic relief for those suffering from anxiety, depression, and addiction. And I would add in here that the point of our study is to hopefully help people with reduction in death anxiety. That is my two cents. And it is great. I mean, ketamine, of course, is used in you know tribal experiences similar to peyote or oh, ayahuasca. But it's, you know, it's, it's great and it could be really therapeutic for people of all different religions and, and backgrounds. So, and as we talked about, it's used in different forms for treatment resistant other things. So 
what we're hoping for in late stage use, late stage of your life use, is to let people allow people to let go of that fear of you know what why are people afraid they're afraid of the unknown well if you are past the point of worrying about who what everybody thinks of you yeah and what pressures the world puts on you right then you're gonna have a lot less care when it comes to that in in theory yeah in theory and also i think too a lot of people suffer with looking at that stage at late stage right um Mm -hmm. looking back at their life and finding meaning from that you know like some people sit with you know i was a terrible father Mm -hmm. i was a you know i was shame and guilt shame and guilt so much shame and guilt and so how can we help people find that resolution for themselves so that they don't die suffering with that where they can find meaning from their life and they can find find meaning in their connection with others and it's a way to expedite a therapeutic experience i mean when someone's at the end of their life you don't have years to build a therapeutic alliance and talk therapy to get to that place where they're able to let you in and even acknowledge or even understand what they're feeling whereas this medicine can get you there and then allow you to process that with someone in a therapeutic setting ideally yeah yeah so, back to so, lozenges two and three. So we had three lozenges. And the spit was so much worse. It was so much more was a lot spit. of saliva. And I kept swishing it around, and I kept swishing it around, and I kept thinking, you know what? I'm going to spit it out. <laughs> and you didn't. I didn't. You brat. <laughs> Should have gone with that gut. Uh, I will. I unfortunately did go with that gut. That's the problem. <laughs> After lozenges two and three, how did you feel? 20 minutes after we had already swallowed. I'm assuming <sighs> you did too. Yes, I did too. Or maybe just tell me, like, not just what you felt in the moment, but like from here until we kind of came out of it. What was your, if you're willing, what whatever experience? you're willing to share, what was your experience? You know, I... I was disappointed in my experience. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think I went in with high expectations Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and wanted some sort of epiphany out of it. You know, I, I was very relaxed. I did feel disconnected from my body for a little bit of time, which was an incredible feeling. And ketamine is a dissociative drug, so it does have yeah, that effect. It does. Mm-hmm. I, I was still connected with my mind. And, yeah. I'm so sorry I need to interrupt because I just thought of something else that when they explain it to you, what you might feel when we're talking about feeling disconnected, they oftentimes, the guides or people will, will talk about having a pause or break from your thought process. Yes. And it's also a thought or or physical pause from your pain from your physical body if you were dying from cancer and you're in pain all the time this ketamine will allow you to take that pause and reset your thinking and reset yes i'm sorry i just no, thought I, about that that's beautiful and that actually helps me kind of formulate my thought to be quite honest um because i felt a pause but i felt a very mild pause i felt a pause in my body to where I could, there was an element of me feeling bigger than my body. I was outside my body, essentially. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel grounded in it, which was a very freeing feeling. But I also struggle personally with anxiety, which, as I've already said, has been kind of hard lately for me. And so that manifests psychosomatically for me. I get this very physically restless Mm. being. I have a really hard time going to sleep, kind of turning my thoughts off. And subsequently, God, I just feel like I just need to get out of my body because it just like, I can't calm it down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need to run or something. And I hate running. I will never (laughs) run. I just want to clarify. (laughs) So, So there was an element of feeling like I didn't need to escape my body, which was a relief. It was a total relief. I felt bigger than my body. I felt outside of it. 
but I could still sense that my whole, that my physical being was like clenching. Mm. So there was an element of that still there, even Mm -hmm. though I was trying to disassociate from it. And so I could still like connect with my body and tell it to like calm down and like focus on my breathing and try to like physically relax, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the different parts of me. So I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't totally away from it. And that, you know, that being said, I was still in my mind, you know, um, my thoughts were calmer. They mm-hmm. weren't as, I don't know, rapid or tangential, but they were still, I still had control over them. I still had an awareness of my being and, you know, that was my experience. That was my experience. Unfortunately, I, I don't feel like I, I got more more from it. I wish I there I wish there had been something more, but you know, maybe the medicine gives you what you need and gosh, maybe my body just needed to just be calm for 5 minutes, you know, <laughs> like and that was that was a relief. Like that was a relief for me for sure. And then, you know, at at the couple of hour mark, we get kind of pulled back into the room gently. Mhm. And kind of come together and and start sharing and how do you feel like you've been able to integrate anything new or any changes that you've noticed in the last couple of days that, that you didn't think you would feel or we did say you weren't quite feeling yourself also. Yeah, I, I am feeling calmer, like psychically, like I'm feeling less, my body is feeling calmer, actually, I will give you that. So that could be kind of the residual. The next day I had a killer headache. Mm. I slept like a, I don't want to say like a baby because babies do not sleep well. I do not know why that's a phrase. So I've altered it to say I slept like a sloth, like a total sloth. Like I was out. I think I went to bed at 830. Like it was amazing. And you know, I needed that. (laughs) So yeah, today I'm day four. I'm feeling calmer physically and, and probably mentally a little bit too kinder to myself. Mm. Okay. I haven't been able, I can give you like a defining thing. I'm not feeling a lot of residual, but I am noticing I'm just kind of a calmer being right now. And at this point, um, they are talking about doing a second experiential with the intermuscular shot. Are you planning to do that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Because I want more. (laughs) (laughs) And to clarify, not not in an addictive way. (laughs) No, no. I want... I mean, who doesn't want, like, atonement, you know? Like, who doesn't want this, like, moment of feeling comfortable in your physical being, in your mental being, like, feeling connected and under- in an understanding? And, you know, I don't know that I got as much as I wanted from the lozenge, and maybe I won't get more from the, from the I am dose. But shoot, for 20 minutes of calm comfort mm-hmm. I think it gave me some relief nice so I'd like to see what what more could come of it yeah I will yeah tell me about yours I, I will talk to I will talk yours about is a mine. lot more interesting <laughs> well <laughs> I don't know interesting in a different way I well, it's fascinating in like a therapeutic like tool building standpoint it is fascinating <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I find it fascinating. I found a lot. I mean, I'm so thankful that our bigger group was able to come together and share all of their experiences. It was really fascinating to hear how very different everyone's experiences, even with our smaller group and then the bigger group. Yeah, because we are we are working on this with let's say 30 to 50 people. Yeah, we'll just throw it up. There's a good amount of people participating. Yeah, and talking and sharing. And so to be able to hear other people's experience. Uh, I, I found very helpful, especially the next day. And I was really skeptical going in like, well, why do we need to have this bigger sharing conference? Why do we need to talk the next day? Blah, blah, blah. But I actually found the next day way more helpful for me. Oh, powerful. Yeah. And not just in like, we, we got to hear everyone's experiences, like the good, the bad, the ugly, the yeah ongoing. Right. You know, right. and there was really some transformative experiences I mean full-on healing the world kind of experiences like touching the face of God kind of experiences which is I think what we were hoping for (laughs) I want that (laughs) 
wouldn't want that, that. right? But Um, there were also some that were really difficult the next day to process. Like, mm -hmm. emotionally, some people were sitting pretty heavy with their experience. Yes. And it it was not all sunshine and roses. It was not all sunshine and roses and rainbows. And mine was definitely not sunshine and roses. Yes. Let's, let's hear about yours. Oh, goodness. Okay, so. Because uh, you were feeling tingly after I, the first lozenge. Yeah, just a little bit in my arms. I was feeling tingly. And then. Then you said, load me up with two more. Yeah, like a fool. I took two more. And then for about the next, what I found out later was approximately 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes. I felt like, and I, as I described this before, I kind of felt like I was skimming a rock across the surface of a lake. Which is such a great analogy, Helly. Like, <laughs> it really is. I don't, yeah, it was good. I, I kept feeling my body well up with this kind of tingly disassociation feeling, and then I would say to myself, all right, here it comes, and then it didn't come. And that happened about four or five times. Mm. It's a long stone skipping. It was a long stone skipping and the stone never sunk in. <laughs> um, and one thing that I didn't mention during our debriefing, and I think it's because I just was so exhausted after, was, at, and I didn't see anything. So some people like actually saw colors or faces or words. Pretty much 99% of everything I experienced was uh, physical and not visual. Yeah. I didn't uh, have a visual component either. And the few times that I did have at the most vague version of visual, it really felt more like when I, like I'm sitting here talking to you and I think of something, I'm not seeing it, but I'm seeing it in my mind's eye. Yeah. 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 I did not see anything. What I felt like I saw in my mind's eye at one point was, and I'm pretty sure it was during that first 20, 30 minutes was kind of, it rushed up to me and it was like eyes and the bridge of a nose and it looked like maybe a wolf, Mm. but I couldn't see the whole face and it was gone as fast as it came. Like I saw some eyes as it rushed up, I could see the bridge of the nose and then it was gone. Oh, and then how did you feel when it was rushing to you? It wasn't scary. It was like, Oh, what's this? And then it was gone. And I was trying to like hold on to it, like, oh, what, you know, was that a dragon? Was that a wolf? What Come was back. that? Right. <laughs> and then at one point later, I did feel like somehow I wasn't a plane, but like in Superman terms, I was flying up and everything was dark and I came up over these clouds, but it was still like somehow nighttime. So I came up over and there was like a moon in the distance. And I was kind of skimming my hand along the clouds as I came up in between these layer of clouds. And that kind of was what I was experiencing with that skipping of it's coming and then it's gone. And that was gone just as fast as it came too. Hmm. And again, it was more like my mind's eye. It wasn't like a visual hallucination, right. which I was really hoping for. Yeah. And then after this happened a couple of times where it felt, I, my head felt really heavy. And I kept, my neck was getting sore and I'd lift my head up. And when I lifted my head up, I kind of got started getting the spins. And so I'd do that a couple times thinking it might bring me back into the, the space. Didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, like a light switch, I felt nothing. And I, when I mean nothing, I mean like I did not feel the medicine. I felt like it was just me totally sober laying in this chair. Yeah. And I lay there for a few minutes And I thought, well, the music is nice. I could just relax, but I don't know what time it is. And if I don't feel anything else after this, I want to be able to adjust my intermuscular shot. And they'll need to know that even 300 wasn't that much. So I whisper to someone and they tell me it's 1030. So this means it's only about 30, 40 minutes after the second dose of of 200 more milligrams. And the guide comes over and says, well, do you want to, you know, do you feel like you can just lay here and relax or do you want to get up and journal? What do you want to do? And so I sit there for a minute and I've already, I've already taken my shades off. Like I'm looking around the room. I'm looking at their plants and stuff. I'm like, cool. (laughs) They did have great plants. They did have great plants. (laughs) And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to get up and journal. Fine. And I get up and as I get up, the music changes and it's bongos. 
And I start like air bongoing, dancing in the middle of the room. Now, to clarify, you are a bongo drumming person, period. <laughs> like, sober, you will walk around the room bongo drumming. Oh, no? sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay, I just want to, I just, that was not the ketamine. Oh, no. No, oh. I was totally like getting with the music. Yeah. Like, yeah. Music affects me a lot. Yeah. So I really was loving the playlist. Uh, and the bongos didn't bother me at all. Apparently, after the fact, we find out it really bothered some other people. But <laughs> I was completely sober at this point. And so I'm listening. And right when I stood up, I was like, da-da-da, you know, bang, bongo in the air. And the doctor was like, oh, well, you clearly don't have an issue with your balance. So go forth and journal. <laughs> so I go to the bathroom. I go journal. I wrote a whole page of... What time, how much I took, what I felt, all the experiences. Got done with that. Checked my phone, listened to a voicemail, sent an email. At work, by the way, a work email. <laughs> Allie, I don't think you want to admit that on this podcast. <laughs> I totally did. And it was fine because I really was not feeling anything. And then I started feeling a little tired. And now at this point, I look at my clock and it's 11.09. So it had been 40 minutes of me up feeling nothing, feeling sober. That's a long time, 40 minutes. 40 minutes. So it was 10.30 to 11.09. Wow. And I'm like, you know what? We still got at least half an hour. I can just go back and just take a nap. I'll listen to the music and just relax. Yeah. The second I hit the chair, I started getting the spins. I'm like, well, this sucks. Let me just go ahead and put my eye mask back on and maybe the spins will go away. And it couldn't have been 30 seconds. I mean, I went from feeling absolutely nothing to having a full-blown disassociative state. And tell me about that. What do you mean by disassociative? I mean, like, I did not know where I was or where my body was or it wasn't even a... This is the crazy part. So you hear other people talk about... I could feel I was here or there or whatever. I wasn't sure I was dreaming. If I was awake, I wasn't really giving it too much thought. I was thinking to myself, am I dreaming? Are there people in this room with me? Because my body, not even my body, my energy felt bigger. The head, the energy in my head felt bigger than the building we were in. Hmm. But it didn't feel like I was bigger like as a person yeah so then we're talking about getting to that ego disillusionment state right i didn't feel me at all but i also didn't feel like i wasn't me and it's yeah. really hard to describe it's like you had a connection to your being but it wasn't necessarily how you know it to be yeah like i was having thoughts and i was vaguely aware that there were people in the room with me but i couldn't visually imagine the room okay because it was just one big energy ball. Right. And I could feel my physical... At some point, that started to come down. It was just like, bam, it hit me like a brick wall. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was coming out of it. Or, I don't know. I really don't know how long I was in there. Well, when you were in there, how did it feel to be in that space? Well, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know how long... I went from dizzy and fully in the chair to... Am I dreaming? Yeah. Like, there was no transition period. Yeah. I went from fully in my body to, I don't know how big my being or energy is. And, well, and that sounds like for some that could be scary. Like, how was how was that experience? It did not feel scary to me. It felt more just like a curiosity. Okay. I wasn't happy or connected or sad. It really wasn't any feeling. It was just a... Like an acknowledgement huh. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I slowly started coming back into the room and I could feel my physical body. Like I knew logically my arms were down on my side, but my energy of my arms were like kind of up and twisted, not in a painful way, but just like huh. oddly shaped and not where they physically were. And then I just kind of came back into the room and was able to be more present. But that time, which could have been five minutes, I don't know if I was like, I, I really do believe after talking about it after the fact, I think I had a complete GI absorption. 
And it did not hit me until it got to my gut and started processing. And we had to fast that day. There was nothing in my stomach. Yeah. That was a hard part of that day. <laughs> I got it. I'm sorry. I just like it on the record. I got up at 4.30 yeah. in the morning. Mm-hmm. This is someone that doesn't get out of bed till 8 at least. Okay. <laughs> 4.30 in the morning to make myself coffee so that I could not have a coffee headache for the rest of the day for not having coffee because we couldn't eat after five. Yeah. Okay. You can have just, a little bit of water, but that was about I it. I just wanted it on the record. <laughs> so yeah, I came back into the space and I was really woozy. Like that time. So remember back when I felt nothing coming out of that was like a light switch coming out of this. It took a solid hour for me to even be able to, feel safe and comfortable walking around. I felt like jello. Yeah. I did not feel like I could make any kind of decision. Or stand up. Or stand up. I was definitely present and in the room, but I felt like no physical control over my body. <laughs> Gosh, it's like it was still lingering. Like it was still there, even though you were having to like come out of it and participate in yeah. a group setting. Yeah. And then, so I get up and I get a little snacky snack. And I'm starting to feel better. I'm starting to feel okay. You know, it's about, an, you know, an hour now. We're all kind of sharing our experiences. And I was pretty emotional listening to other people's experiences, yeah. which is also not me. No, but that was a beautiful space to find <laughs> you in, I will say. It was... Yeah, I, I was so overcome with emotion. And that's not to say I'm not emotional. I mean, people listening to this podcast, I could watch, I could watch a commercial and get choked up. Of course. But... In general, I'm really good at holding other people's space. And for whatever reason, I was just completely flooded with emotion. It's like your space was other people's space. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened and I was blubbering and crying, expressing my gratitude. But that's what's weird is I did not feel that gratitude or love or connection in the space that when I was dissociated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I didn't really feel anything except for curiosity, I guess. So, But how powerful, and I think that's something to speak to, is coming out of the immediacy and like of the acute, you know, experience of ketamine that is a solo adventure, coming out of that, reintegrating into your life, into your community, into your friendships, into your colleagues, into whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, integrating into that space like you brought emotion and a sense of connection and a sense of you know gratitude for those around you and for your your physical earthly experience you know like yeah so I think that's pretty that is transformative in its own is to understand like the experience of ketamine in the acute setting of taking it and undergoing this you know, guidance mm-hmm. is not necessarily where the power comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I uh, think that's what we found too from like a lot of the other sharings of other folks is this day two was had a whole bunch of its own wisdom and experience that mm-hmm. came yeah. as a reflection and as a venturing into a different space following that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. So we did our own small group integration and then entered into the larger chat group of integration. And I got so sick. I got the spins. I couldn't focus. Poor Hallie. I was so nauseous. I could not even listen to the Zoom because it was making me more nauseous. Yeah. And so I stood outside and I got some air and the very sweet, loving doctor that we have was out there with me, making sure I was okay. Got you another on Danzatron. Yeah, yeah. Got me that. And I was able to, you know, sneak back in for the end of the integration session and, oh, the ride home was rough. Oh, that was hard. I, again, was just so incredibly nauseous and doing everything I could to just not throw up. And that's about... An hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes of a car ride. Yeah. And we had stopped at about 30, 30 minutes-ish, a little over 30 minutes to took drop someone off and took a break. I got home. I was still super nauseous all night long. 
nauseous, headache, weak. How did you sleep? I slept like a rock. Okay. I did not go to bed until 11 that night. And I had been pretty tired, but I really was trying to get my nausea under control. I didn't want to lay... I mean, I do have an adjustable bed, but I didn't want to lay too flat. Right. And got... And I ate, like, the most bland thing I can think of, like mashed potatoes and corn for dinner. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and and every time I ate something, I got more nauseous, hmm. which sucked. Yeah. And I really think it's because my GI tract was completely irritated by just absorbing that yeah. ketamine. Next day, get up, have a very light breakfast, still very nauseous. And we come together to do our second integration, which was amazing. And very helpful because then I could see other people did not have as great a time either. Yeah, some other people had some nausea. Other people had worse symptoms than I did. Some of them had like migraines and stuff. Yeah. Um, So I got another prescription for uh, the nausea patch, the scopolamine, that I've used before when I went on the cruise. So I knew that worked for (laughs) me. Good. And that started helping within a couple hours. Good. And, but then even yesterday... Like, all I did was sit around and do nothing. Like, yeah. I had, and and today has been a challenge. I have had no motivation to do anything. I am, I feel so apathetic. Mm. And and what was, what's funny is I was struggling with that before. And you would think that integration into love and compassion and gratitude, once I can integrate that without being apathetic, I think will be great. Because, you know, you do this work long enough, you do start building that up. Yeah. And today, so yesterday, I just let myself do nothing. You know, do as little as possible. Went out and cleaned the koi pond. You know, that's about the most activity I did. That was like a lot. That was was a lot of activity, actually. (laughs) And sat on the couch all day with my lap blanket and my dog. And that was it. Yeah. So today, had to go back to work. How was that? (laughs) Challenging. I... Took the patch off, and I was feeling pretty good this morning. This afternoon, I did still have a little bit of nausea, nausea, but it was, you know, like a one or two on a scale of one to ten. I mean, it was it was pretty mild, and it really depended on like if I turn my head the wrong way, kind of a vertigo nausea. Like too quickly, yeah. Yeah. So overall, feeling okay. Not feeling sick as soon as I eat, which is great, but I am continuing to have such a hard time focusing, like. I go to, like, look at my emails or check Facebook or Twitter or check emails. I cannot do anything for more than, like, two, three minutes. I've got, like, a short attention span. Yeah, it kind of feels like a little bit of ADHD, as people have described it to me. (laughs) But also, isn't there, like, a slowness to it, though, too? Like, sluggish. Yes, it's all of those things. So just sluggish, difficult to focus. Yeah. Fatigue. Yeah. And I'm... I'm tired, but I'm not groggy. Like, I'm just, in my whole being, exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, and that's day four. That's day four. So i got to be honest. I'm not sure at this point I'm going to do the I am. Yeah, I don't, you know, I... As we were talking about it on, on, you know, day two, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm into this. Like, I already know what to expect. I can prepare for it. But now that I'm in day four and feeling like this, I'm like, I don't know this is the medicine for me. And that's okay. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's just, it's fascinating how greatly it's impacted you in that way versus, like, I did not have that experience. It's hard because we don't know what what causes that or doesn't, you right. know? And right. how, you know, it's hard to prepare people for that if we venture down this road of supporting others right as guides i mean what this definitely what made me think about like? the screening process yeah like yeah. if there's any history of nausea at all i don't know that a damn is enough yeah well and it's good that the patch worked i mean that's a good you know tool to have but still yeah Oof. i know I know it's so hard. It's so hard because here we are. Like it's just, it's so different for everybody. And some people have had these profound experiences. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love hearing it. I 
And we also heard from people that felt shame and guilt from not having the experience, which was hard yes. for them. You know, I, I don't, I think I was more maybe disappointed, but yeah, I felt for the people mm-hmm. that really felt like they had shame and guilt because they didn't have that amazing over the top experience. Right. And that's too bad too. And that's part of, you know, tempering expectation as well. And, you know, and the idea that you get, I don't know, I like this whole concept that the medicine gives you what you need, what you need. <laughs> However, for you, I'm so sorry, Hallie, <laughs> apparently you needed nausea for days, but, <laughs> and maybe it is that I need to slow down, you know, as we talked about before we started recording, Yeah, I don't ever feel like, like I see people around me all the time doing physical activities, like going hiking every day or, you know, going venturing and going traveling. And I'm so much of a hermit, but as you point out, I'm doing a million tiny little things all the time. Well, and I mean, physical is one thing, but you have a rich intellectual life. Like, you know, you do this podcast, you work like... There's, oh, there are so many little things that you just keep taking on. And I'm like, oh my God, are you sure? (laughs) Maybe not that one. And, you know, and that being said, I get into that mode too and take on too much. And then we are prone to burnout. So I think, you know, and, you know, look, what I took from this apparently had to have been relax, calm your body down, (laughs) you know, get out of fight or flight, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something to be said for that. Like maybe that is what we both kind of needed was reminders to slow down and reminders to kind of focus on controlling your own yeah physical and emotional being and um, allowing for that and knowing that it's okay to slow down yeah to, yeah exactly that there's nothing to be ashamed of yes or feel guilty about or oh and that's that's going to be now that i mean it just now occurred to me just as we're talking what more important message could people in hospice get who are so used to being active? Slow down. (laughs) And they are so upset with themselves that their physical body has betrayed them. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It's a powerful, powerful opportunity for a lot of learning and growth. So, yeah, that was uh, our first experience with ketamine. I wanted to document it. I know it's a little long, but... I wanted to document not only because, as I explained to you, even telling my story feels like an exhausting, insurmountable task does, to tell people. right? I've told a couple of people, that, like my partner and, you know, my therapist, and now right. I'm just like, I don't want to tell anybody else. Right? Like, I just, I'm so tired. Exactly. It was what it was. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's not that it's anything bad, and everybody's super curious, and I want to honor that. I promised I would tell people yeah. how it was, and I'm just so tired. But I think, and I think that's something to be said of this type of therapy as well is, you know, it's not just that one experience. Like this is an ongoing practice. Like Mm. we talked about, you know, learning how to integrate experiences like this into your day-to-day life. I mean, Mm -hmm. here we are four days later, we're both impacted still. We're both still like kind of trying to process this. (laughs) Yes. Because we're both sitting here like, oh, yeah, maybe that's what it was. Oh, no, it wasn't that. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. there's just, there's, it's exhausting because I think we're still emotionally processing it, too. And we mm-hmm. still haven't totally figured it out. Like, yeah. clearly, this is a long podcast because we can't even figure out how to, like, articulate it in a concise <laughs> way. Like, it's just such an ordeal. Uh, yes, yes. But I think it's important to document it and especially... If and when one or both of us does do the intermuscular to be able to compare it and integrate that into whatever comes. Exactly. Exactly. And I still have very exciting high hopes for the prospect of a lot of different psychedelics in the use of palliative and hospice care. So I do too. I think it's really an exciting um, field that is not new. I mean, it's been around forever and it has been unfortunately really discouraged in Mm -hmm. recent decades so it's exciting to think that it could be an alternative that is coming coming around again because gosh it really can be transformative for so many people Mm -hmm. and I'll be excited to talk again after an IM session whether it be you or me or both or neither (laughs) and just learn and grow from from others and their experience too Yeah. It's an exciting time. 
It is very exciting. I don't feel the excitement at this moment. I'm sure I will. We're only on day four. It's fine. <laughs> Wait a couple more days. <laughs> uh, thank you, Katie, for coming and sharing your experience with me and with the listeners and just being you. Thanks, Hallie. Thanks for having me and thanks for going through the experience with me. And everybody out there, you know, you don't have to have ketamine to change your life, but, you know, find what works for you. And any type of exploration into letting a little bit of your ego go and just finding connection with the world around you and the people around you. I mean, gosh, you can find that in nature. You can find that in art. You can find that anywhere. Yeah, you might as well enjoy it because someday we'll all be dead. Yes, we will. (laughs)